Social Ventures Australia brings you this podcast from the SVA Quarterly, the leading management publication for the social sector in Australia. Hello, I'm Matthew Diebel, the Education Practice Lead at Social Ventures Australia, and I'm talking today with Dr Andrea Schleicher, the Director for the Directorate of Education and Skills at the OECD. Andreas is here as our special guest for SVA's sixth Education Dialogue, which is an annual convening that SVA holds with thought leaders, policymakers, and practitioners about improvements to Australia's education system. This year, we're delighted to have Andreas speak to us about his work at the OECD and the lessons that can be learned from other high-performing systems from around the world. Andreas, thank you and welcome. Thank you, Matt. One of the reasons that you're here in Australia um, this week is to talk to us about the OECD's 2030 agenda, which relates to building competencies, or what we in Australia call the general capabilities. Could you please define what you mean by the, these competencies and, and why they matter in education? Digitalization has radically altered the nature of work and life for people, and the kind of things that are easy to teach, easy to test, have also become easy to digitize to automate, to outsource. And what we're trying to do at the OECD is think more carefully how we can pair the artificial intelligence of computers with the kind of human qualities where people can create new value. And you can think about you know, solving complex problem. Creative thinking is a very important part, also social aspects, you know, working with people who are different from you, working with people who think differently from you. Emotional qualities, courage, resilience, uh, curiosity, leadership. So we're trying to define those kinds of elements that are very instrumental for success in working in life, but also then to build metrics around it. How can we observe those qualities? And last not but not least, how we can improve them. That's the point, isn't it? There is a very common concern when people think about those characteristics that you've described in terms of cultural understanding or mm. empathy and resilience as to a question as to whether they can be taught. And if they could be taught, could they be measured? How do you respond to that concern? Well, what we know is that they can be learned. You know, some things are better caught than taught in education. So it's often the enabling environment. You know, you go into a, a Japanese school, the first thing is you take your shoes off. And that's part of the disciplines. And at the end of the school year, uh, students will clean the classroom together with their teachers. That's part of the kind of paradigm that creates, you know, joint ownership, discipline. So we have to think more carefully about, you know, teaching is not just about delivery of instruction. It's about the learning environment and the organization of learning. But this being said, we have good evidence that uh, the broader social and emotional skills can be developed in an educational setting, sometimes very early in the lives of children. Brain research shows that actually between the age of one and three, there are important windows for the development of character qualities. If we are better aware of this and create innovative learning environments, I'm quite confident that we can do a lot to educate. Andreas, many people would say that these other skills might be useful, but literacy and numeracy are the foundation of education and what should be delivered in schools. What do you say to that? You know, success is about multiple dimensions, and it's very dangerous if we think about, you know, one has to come before the other. You know, we have to first become literate before we can develop character qualities. In fact, you know, research shows that some of the important social-emotional skills are developed just in the very early years. So I think we have to look at outcomes really in a multidimensional way from the very start and you can teach creativity in your mathematics lesson, and you can teach, you know, 
many of those kinds of dimensions as an integral part of this. We have to remain true to the disciplines. I think that's important, but at the same time also strengthen interdisciplinary thinking and walking among students. And high-performing education systems have really got to their point. You know, they are not doing worse on numeracy because they are doing better on character qualities and in the same way you know the absence of numeracy skills doesn't imply the presence of those kind of social and emotional skills. What about the measurement side Andreas? How do we measure whether these attributes, skills and dispositions are growing in a young person? Yeah, I think we have also there to take a wider approach to measurement. Measurement should not just be tests. I think we have to look at a, it could be observation, it could be kind of a more qualitative kind of metrics to, to build around. But even when it comes to tests, when you know, I started with PISA. It was my dream to build an assessment of collaborative problem-solving skills. We had no idea how you could do that. Then suddenly, you know, 2009, 2010, digital technologies enabled us to network students to actually see how they could work together. And it's become possible. So I, I do think we should, you know, not give up with the status quo and assessment of what we could always easily observe, like literacy and numeracy tests. But actually today, technology enables us to do a lot to assess the 21st century capacities. We've also moved into a space where we can combine the world of formative assessment, you know, assessment for improvement, and summative assessment that look at the results at the end of the day. Those were two separate worlds and yes. they've divided educators and now we can actually integrate them. I think the modern technology enabled world of assessment has become really challenging. So it must be very challenging when you think about more of those qualitative measures or teacher observation to find ways of norming that information across countries. Is that some of the work that you do as you think about these new measures for the competencies? Yeah, absolutely. But I do think we also have to get more used to deal with uncertainty in measurement. We often sacrifice validity gains for reliability gains in assessment. So we build boring multiple choice tests just because they give us a very precise, very narrow measure. And I think we have to accept that, you know, some other metrics may have a greater range of uncertainty and I think build the right balance between, you know, validity, measuring the kind of things that are really important, reliability, measuring things in a way that is predictable and uh, relevance. And you think that new technologies make that opportunity much more in reach for people? Absolutely. I also think, you know, the, the other part of this is to build greater data literacy. How can we actually interpret multiple metrics, also look at multidimensional metrics, it may not be possible to summarize all what we know about a person in a single score, but actually there may be different dimensions. You know, people may have different strengths on different dimensions. And I think we have to develop more sophisticated ways to measure outcomes because those outcomes have a very important influence on in how, you know, students learn, teachers teach, parents look at results, and we judge the performance of schools. In the most recent PISA, you did the um, test for collaboration skills. Do you have some of these other capabilities in mind for testing in future PISA tests? In the next round, we are going to assess global competency, the capacity of students to look at the world through different lenses and perspectives, appreciate different ways of thinking, different cultures. Openness, tolerance are very important dimensions of this, but simply also to to cope and live in a complex world that is multidimensional, that has multiple perspectives. Navigating, you know, in the past success was about, you know, teaching someone something. Today, success about having this kind of compass and the navigation skills to find your own way in an increasingly complex 
volatile and uncertain world. And that's really what com global competence is about. In 2021, we are trying to develop an assessment of creative thinking skills. Again, you know, creating new value is one of the most central dimensions for individual success, innovation. Social Ventures Australia is particularly interested in improving the lives of people in need or working with disadvantaged cohorts. Does the improvement of capabilities matter more for people from a low SES background or the work of a society in helping improve those capacities make a bigger difference for those sorts of students? You can make that argument for almost any student. You know, If you come from a wealthy background, you're going to have many chances in life and many open doors even if you don't get such a great initial education. If you come from a disadvantaged background, you have really only one card to play, and that is a good schooling. You miss that boat, and you're not going to get a second chance in life normally. So I think ensuring that we attract the most talented teachers in the most challenging classrooms and get the best leaders into the toughest school environments is really one attribute of successful education systems. And think about it. You, know, you can look at the 10% of the most disadvantaged students in a country like Vietnam or in Singapore, and they do pretty much as well as the kind of almost average student in Australia. I think there's a lot more that can be done to give the children in greatest needs the best possible education. At the other end of the spectrum, we've got employers in Australia who are now thinking about the workforce that they're wanting to hire in for the future. This work that you're focusing on with uh, the 2030 agenda, what message would you give to employers about the importance of this work and how that can make a difference for them with the employees of the future? You know, employers are an important part of this work. Uh, they help us to actually look outwards towards the extent to which different types of competences are actually used at the workplace for productive use. And uh, in, in the end, you know, the productivity of companies largely depends on the skills of their workforce. But more importantly, it's not just the productivity of your workers, the skills of your workers, it's the skills of your customers. The way the distribution of skills in our societies has enormous implications, you know, on, on economic and social dimensions. Now, that uh, we, we often forget that, that, you know, the poor skills are not only an issue of you know low earnings and poor employment they're also an issue of you know lower trust in our societies lower social participation political fragmentation all of those things in an, in, a, in a society which has increasing demands on the skills of people being sort of slow to adapt is really i think puts you at a great disadvantage. So the opportunities are large and then the risks are also large for mm. a failure to act or respond to this changing agenda. Yeah, it's very interesting to, to look at the last years. You know, never before had those with great skills had better life chances than they have today. But never before have people at the low end of the skill distribution paid the kind of economic and social price they pay for this. So inequalities, you know, in the past you could deal with inequalities in our societies through redistribution, you know, using taxes to take money from the rich, give it to the poor. But that's dealing with the consequence of inequality. And as, you know, the pace of change accelerates, it works less and less well. The only way how we can address those issues really is to, is to look at the sources of inequality and inequality in skills is one of the biggest drivers of social inequality. And they're tightly bound, aren't they? Because as you've said previously, the new workforce need can only work on high-performing, high-functioning skills. Larger workforces that were in manual or quite simple procedural routine tasks have disappeared because they're being taken by machines and by AI. 
Yeah, precisely. I think uh, digitalization is basically replacing routine cognitive skills and routine manual skills. But at the same time, they increase the value of non-routine analytic skills, creative skills. They increase also the value of social skills. That's a very interesting phenomenon as well. That that's basically how we, if you think perspective taking and empathy in every at every level of the system, those are dimensions that add really very important value to what computers can do. You've described the importance of these characteristics or dispositions, empathy, resilience, as important skills for the workplace. But it's also true for social cohesion, isn't it? That those, those very skills are what we would need to help deal with a fast-changing society and with uh, diversities of population and of need. Yeah, absolutely. In an increasingly diverse society, the capacity of individuals to understand diversity, to embrace diversity, and to create value out of this. I think, you know, diversity is not the problem of the knowledge economy, but the source of its wealth, really. That's how successful societies have thrived, actually, over decades. If you look at, I mean, Europe is a place where the richness of all of different cultures and ideas merged. Australia is an example of that. This is how we created successful societies, and digitalization can empower that. It can also make that more difficult. The kind of echo chamber set digitalization is creating to put you together as people who think like you and work like you, it's it's a counterpart, but I think it just highlights the need for global competency and the capacity to really make good use out of this. So with such an important topic, for the OECD and the Directorate for Education and Skills, what are you doing to advance this agenda over the next decade or so? Well, first of all, bringing countries and cultures together to think about this collectively, and we've advanced quite rapidly on this. I would have never imagined that our work on Education 2030 would have advanced as quickly as we can. When we started with this, you had many countries, including Australia, would see education, again, largely as a field of domestic policy. Now they're working together to frame good practice, to find, you know, the ways in which how we can anticipate the evolution of skill demand in our societies and labor markets. That's really our work. The next step is then to build and improve our metrics, to look at success, measure success, because you won't improve what you do not measure. And when we do not have eyes and ears to see progress on those dimensions, it's unlikely that teachers are going to pay attention to this, schools pay attention to this. So that's going to be the next next step of this now. So, Andreas, thank you so much for your time and for your participation in this year's Education Dialogue, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Australia. Thank you. Social Ventures Australia is committed to an equitable education system and to affecting systems change. And the Education Dialogue convene leaders and stakeholders from around Australia to build momentum to support the change that we need. Related podcasts and articles can be found on the SVA Quarterly site www.socialventures.com.au forward slash sva hyphen quarterly forward slash.